0: We are, we are rocking and rolling, sir, as we turn on the recording machine. Uh, thanks for joining Backcountry and Barbells. I am Joe Shimonic. The other guy on the chat is Jeremy
1: Day. Jeremy, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, brother. Just another sunny day in here. Oh, wait, no. Oh, yeah, it's raining. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm always talking to folks about
0: the weather out here, and it's awesome. You know, it, we are coming. We are – that kind of winter is coming – Thing is happening here in Washington right now. But even that said, you know, we have soccer games planned. Things are going to happen. We're going to get outside despite the fact that the sun's not out and we honestly get a drizzle here and there and some rain. I'm still holding that this is the best place to live in the country weather-wise. You can spend more days outside here doing various things and get into more crap than you can anywhere else in the country. I
1: no, I, I 100% yeah.
0: agree it, it's so funny hearing folks talk about, uh, I mean, take some vitamin D and get a raincoat and you'll be all right. You know what I mean? I'll, and I'm going to say that forever. I mean, I think this is, I mean, I, I can't imagine a spot better than this. Even even San Diego, I would say it's just too nice. At least here you get some variation. I like that.
1: Yeah, me too. And, and, and you go, you know, with my travels everywhere, you go down in the summertime down in those southern areas and you can't go outside.
0: Oh, yeah, right. it's
1: It's too stinking hot. And then in the wintertime, I mean, it's beautiful. But um, here, I mean, with the clothes that are out there now, there's kind of no excuse why you can't get out and enjoy yourself in the rain or – whatever you know the the colder climate but yeah the temperatures are so mild i mean what how many 90 degree days did we have this year like three and that was in may yeah i don't even remember it was awesome yeah. the <laughs> summer was gross it was so good and then i would say the one spot i do miss though is
0: uh, falls in the northeast are pretty cool i mean you get yeah. you get some cool colors popping and that's fun and um but but i'll tell you what man yeah, it is a beautiful day out here. I love it. I absolutely love it. But um, uh, that that said, uh, the the Dupont Spikes. You know, my son's soccer team. I named him the Spikes. Um, I took uh, I cleaned up Timmy's um, little Spike Buck skull, and I take it to the games. And uh, the, the Dupont <laughs> Spikes are the Dupont Spikes are two and one. We have a game this morning, and my wife, um, she just dropped a bomb on the kids before soccer. Um, she has she got. She got a tip from a hairdresser about a fun activity that this, this old bird does with her kids from time to time. She she keeps score. And whenever her kids are doing all right, she gives them what's called a yes day. Have you ever heard of this concept? No, huh? So what this, what, and I guess you could put any budget you want on it. But pretty much, um, we've given our kids each a $40 budget for the day. And we're not allowed to say no and they're, and and then the other rule is you can't you can't drive over an hour. So the thought is, you know, you know how your kids are always pestering you, I need this, I need that, give me this, can we get that? I want to, you know, give me a quarter for this and and all the goofy little things they want. So we're going to try and purge that. They've been pretty good. So my wife has given them this this yes day. So after soccer today, um, <clears throat> We are going to be saying yes to the kids all day. You ever, you ever, you never heard of this? You, if I treat no, you, what, what do you think of this thing?
1: That's a pretty interesting concept. I don't know. It's kind of. I'm still trying to absorb it all. Yeah. So,
0: so <laughs> no, it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it'll that be,
1: will be interesting. So, what's what's the advantage of a yes day? What does it do? Is it a psychological thing to get the kids? So you're not always saying no. You can't do that. No, no, no. It's we don't a, can't afford it's just that.
0: A, it's just a reward. For I guess for them okay. being awesome. So if they want to see a movie. Yeah. In my mind I'm like, hey, maybe they just will see m they'll want to see a movie. You know, they'll want uh go to the craft store. Maybe they'll maybe they want that candy bar they never we always say no to. You know what I mean? It's just so but you know, what if yeah. my son wants a Playboy or something?
1: <laughs> You know, what do I well, do? it sounds like it's a family <laughs> discussion thing because you're doing the whole family, right? Well, Is it forty dollars per kid or forty dollars for the activity for per the see. family? I
0: think I think no, I, th- I think it's I think they get a budget. I think she said she's going to let each kid spend up to forty dollars today. Okay,
1: and they can get whatever they they. It's a yes day for the kids.
0: <laughs> You're working yeah, it out. You're the,
1: I'm sitting here trying to do, the, you know, I'm doing the math. I'm doing, oh well, gosh damn, what all could they do? What... <laughs> but you got to figure, right? Like
0: even I do this as a teacher, how often do you say no? And, you know, I guess this is their chance, right? So maybe, um, yeah. so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I will, I'll keep you informed. Um, what do you do in the day, family? I mean, this is, so this is a new thing for us. We've not done this. We heard this from, Eliza got this idea from um, some, One, she did a, uh, this lady cut her hair recently. She came home with this crazy idea. But, um, you know, it's a cool little reward. We'll see. It's different. It puts a lot on the kids, hopefully. You know, again, you could see how, you know, if if your son's, Approaching an interesting age, or, or whatever, things could be really funny, especially if he was brave around you. But you know, right. <laughs> when your kids are when your kids are eight, six, and five, you know, I think we're pretty safe. You know,
1: oh yeah, um, you're, you're safe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, so in the Day family, what we did is they have to earn. Okay, that basically everything they get they kind of, it, it, and it's up to them. So like we we give them a very high weekly allowance. Okay, so and it depends on their age, right? So Titus he could he could get a dollar for every activity he does. And then when he comes work with me, he gets five to 10 bucks an hour or 20 bucks for a job or whatever we decide. And then, then they could just spend their money on whatever. So then they find something they want to do and they have to, okay, it's 50 bucks. So they have to save up their $50 and then they get to go. And then on the monetary side of it, when they turn, I think it's when they turn 13, what we'll do is whatever they save and put in savings, we match 100%. Nice. And if they take it out of savings, then we get our 100% back. And then when they go, when they turn 16, they can, um, when they go to buy a car, we match 100% of whatever they do. So, I mean, if they do it right. They're I mean, doing it they, right. Oh, yeah. They're they're doing great. I mean, Joey, I think, saved up 4000 bucks for a car or something like that, and Antoinette, or something so well, you know there's not many banks offering the same
0: rate that the the the, the day bank does that's pretty good that 100 percent match rate right? yeah and the
1: idea <laughs> yeah good. exactly that's what i tell them i mean if you guys do it get it while you can well and we don't go out and buy them like because we got sick and tired of buying them wanting you know the dre beats and the and um you know all these electronic devices a new phone and new this and it's like okay well he, Save your money up. You're making good money, and if you do it right, you can have them within six months, eight months, whatever. Yeah. And what what's interesting how it ended up turning out is now my both of my kids are very frugal. I'm a guy that I don't buy anything unless it's on sale. And so at first they'd buy these things, and then they'd get these the Dre beats or whatever, and then they're like, "Man, I don't want to lose these because yeah, I right. paid for them. It's mine. You know, and then this is three hundred and fifty bucks that I spent in my own money. So my son quickly. Sold them and got his money back and just threw it in the bank. And then when he needed new shoes or this or that, you know, because we'd give him, we'd buy all their school clothes, any of this stuff they needed for sports, but and and two pairs of shoes a year because I mean it could get asinine how many times these kids want shoes. Yeah. And then so, um, but now both my kids are super frugal. They put their money in the bank and then 21 or 22 now. My son just turned 22 the other day, and then um, Antoinette is just. Is same thing. She just throws it in the bank, and well, it turned out pretty good. But no, we, the it, reward was that they had to work for it, and when, and once they got it, they got the the personal reward or the gratification that they actually saved up. They worked hard, and then they purchased it.
0: Yeah, it's our money,
1: and we and we don't have to tell them no. We have to. We say it's up to you. It's how much you you saved it up, and you do that. And then other things, we reward the family with big family trips or something like that, or. Um, uh, yeah, we we tinker with allowances too. Mason earns.
0: Mason does trash. The girls empty the dishwasher, and they get they get small allowances to to do some stuff. But yeah, we we got this little, and and I think it's I think it's important to teach the kids that stuff. And I'll tell yeah. you what, uh, being around a bunch of middle schoolers, I don't know, I don't know that, I don't I don't get the idea that they get it. Like I talked to the kids. We talk like we were doing an idea. I'll tell you what I did in the school the other day. We had to do this PowerPoint presentation about um, staff-wide about this start-on-time procedure. And the kids weren't buying into it because they didn't understand why they had to be in class on time. And I'm like, okay, let's put it this way. Y'all know what money is, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's say you're making you know, Seattle's minimum wage of $15 an hour. And you're four minutes late every day. And your boss docks you to that pay. And over the course of a month, this is what it equals. And then their lights went – their their eyes went crazy, right? So um, I don't know. I, <laughs> oh, and then I'm like, okay, let's say you have a big boy job like my brother who's a <laughs> union electrician, you know, in the northeast. Look what it equals. You know what I mean? You're costing yourself thousands of dollars by that four minutes a day not being on time. So, you know uh, – I I wonder if like even like doing like financial planning meetings, you know, the going over things with your retirement. I I I never got taught that in school, and I wonder, I wonder if like the basic, the basics of like running a budget need
1: to just be discussed. I I 100% agree and sh- think they should. Yeah, I'm with you. So because but, then that I mean. It, how many people now are going into retirement and and don't have the money to retire because they didn't spend their money correctly throughout their life, yeah, right? right. They, I mean, our culture is developed to say live now and, you know, it's kind of a selfish do what you want to do this this and that, but it's not thinking of the long term. That's right. You know you know what truly what happened is that we got it backwards. We should be able to party for, what, 15, 20 years, live our retirement earlier, and then you have to pay it off in your later years.
0: That's right? Right? That's way you think it should be?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just joking, man. Could you imagine that, that people just go for 20 years just being crazy and then have to pay for it the last 60 years of their life? They do that. Because when you get older, you can't <laughs> enjoy all those you know, rock climbing and extreme sports and all that stuff and have that free time, right? Well, get this. You don't want everything <laughs> you want. You don't want that anyway. You, no, know, know. you think
0: you want it when you're there, but imagine if you had all of your dreams come true in high school. I mean, you'd have a Camaro, an awesome jean jacket, and you'd have, like, you know, you'd have an awesome stereo. Right? <laughs> a jean jacket. <laughs> That's what you'd have. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. you don't want it. Like, so I guess, like, there's that, that idea of, like, I guess the idea maybe is like this idea of delayed gratification, right? Like yeah. it's always going to be, it'll be better next year or in five years, you know? And like if you always operate with that in mind, like, hey, you know, yeah, I want to have a good time now, but like, you know, what about five years from now, 10 years from now? Keep that in the back of your mind. I think that's super important. And, and to be honest, that's honestly, you know, to get to get us back into hunting, that's what's keeping me in the game. You know what I mean? This This idea of like okay, all these trials that I've had with forgetting my rangefinder and fog busting me out while I stalk cows, like when it finally does happen, it's going to be pretty rad. You know what I mean? And and all these lessons learned, it's going to be fired through. So I guess the idea is like, hey, man, save and, you know, think about really what you want before you just go and get it. Because, you know, if all of a sudden you're 60 years old and you have an awesome shoe collection, you know, a Tesla and, you know, Infinite Snacks, you know that's kind of boring
1: you know what I mean yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, well and you know all these experiences of you know people can call them failure or whatever and uh, and you know mishaps and this and that but all these experiences is how you gain wisdom yeah. to be better I was direct messaging with the guy yesterday on Instagram because he built he did this post and I said hey good job way to keep up a good attitude and then he sent me one back kind of like well I don't mean to be a dick but um, I'm sick and tired of not punching a tag and this and that and he was all down on himself right <laughs> Yep. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, I go, well, you know, I hunted about eight years before I punched an elk tag and I failed a lot, but now I've punched like 14 elk tags in the last 18 years or something. so you, stick. With you it. gain that, <clears throat> you gain that wisdom through time via through failure or what have you, or, you know, like we were talking on the podcast last week with the group, you you play it in your head a hundred times, and then it's how you react to that particular um, situation the next go round. So you got to keep plugging away. You do. If you want to quit, quit. It's it's one more
0: tag, one less tag I got to worry
1: about. Well, yeah, and it opens <laughs> up one more um, elk tag for someone else, right? But that's the key. I mean,
0: so. you know. You know, really think about what you want, you know, uh, have a mechanism to save and work towards it, and then, then go from there. But no, it's an interesting conversation, and I think, you know, applying it to hunting in that regard to just... Also, too, you know, we're talking about saving, just like we were talking about with Trent Fisher, um, which you should go listen to if you haven't, but it's just like, you know, find your wins throughout the day. I bet, yeah. I bet if you really look at your hunting day, you've had a lot of really cool stuff to be grateful for, you know, just because you didn't notch the tag, you know what I mean? So... Whether that's enjoying the sunset, decompressing for an afternoon, getting some fitness in, stomping a mountain—like I mean, we do this celebration thing in my classroom on Fridays, where it's this "Join the Fight" Friday, which is kind of a, a nod to this foundation I support called Wade's Army. But like, the idea is every Friday, no matter what's going on in class, we stop and we 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 have a celebration. For just a good deed you see in your community, and then my message to the kids at the end all the time is like, man, if you want to make the situation better, you have to do it. There's no, there's no, absolutely, there's no value in complaining, and that's not a strategy. So just look for it, and you know what I mean. I, th- I think that guy will come around, but it's hard. I, I, listen, man, a week after elk camp, I couldn't stop looking at that cow. I was I was seeing her in my sleep, fifty one yards away on a nice downhill slant. That damn tree in front of her, and sometimes when I look back at that memory, that tree wasn't there. So now I'm second guessing the thoughts. So, you know, I'm working it out. But you know, as yeah. as soon as as soon as now, and the, again, this gets us right into the conversation I wanted to have today. Is like, you know, what what got me out of my fog for forgetting my rangefinder uh, is focusing on late season elk. Right. So so and that's what I wanted to talk with you about, Jeremy, because, you know, obviously we didn't get into some heavy rut action with elk. Um, We just missed it. It was early. And then, you know, it seems like the muzzleloader guys are really going to get that benefit. And, you know, then there's the modern archer or excuse me, modern rifle. But but we do get a second chance here in washington with uh, late season and that's going to be kicking off right after thanksgiving and i do have a kitchen pass um for the weekend nice. and, the, and the monday after that so you know i'm going to be stomping around and there's a there's a nice little plug of public land not too far from me that i'm going to be stomping around in but um you know just in, in my research going into this late season i'm finding you know they are going to be different they're not going to be making noise for one um they're going to be moving in different spots but i thought it'd be cool to talk about getting ready for that next step in the hunting season with the benefit of forgetting about archery season and moving on to the next one
1: yeah yeah no muzzle loader it's kind of kind of an interesting It's so like, i think it's a four-day window maybe maybe five-day window that guys get to hunt but it's right in my opinion right in the middle of the peak of the rut sure which is that first week of um october i think that's where and it might not be the peak, it might be the tail end of the peak, but the the bulls are still pretty active. I think they've been servicing cows for a couple weeks and they're, mm. you know, they're fired up and <laughs> um, you know what I mean? They're, <laughs> they're getting down to their last little time that they get to uh, service those cows and then they're not going to be able to do it again for another year. So I think they're pretty wound up, but I think they do most of their bugling at night and the communications at night. Listen, I, don't but, know, I tagged you on a post
0: that, you know, I follow some celebrity hunters around, and uh-huh. I, I don't know if I tag. I think I tagged you in this post where I think yeah. it was, um, I think it was Rogan was, uh, Joe Rogan was hunting with Cam Haynes, and the bugling madness was the craziest thing I've ever heard. Have you ever, did you get that post?
1: I did get that post. I mean, it Have was Have you heard insane. anything like that? I'm going to um, yeah. go to Utah, so- sir. <laughs> When we lived in uh, Prineville, Oregon, we lived over by the Les Schwab Daughters Ranch. Okay. And you can't hunt her ranch, but it has a huge herd of elk. And I would go out there at night, like at about 930, and um, just have a few beers and sit there and listen to the bugle fest. And they would just be one bugle after another bugle after mm. another bugle. I mean, for... I would stay out there for an hour, and they'd be bugling. I mean, you could hear, and you could hear them all over the place, and um. And it happens at night, not during the day. Like they were, like in the. That in was the middle t- of the day.
0: Ten in the morning. You look like to me. You know what? Yeah, you yeah, know where exactly, my, yeah. Maybe it was the morning. You know where my mind went, and I'm going to go somewhere crazy. I went to like that. If if I could go back in time and listen to like a Greek orgy, that's probably what it sounded like. <laughs> Like, I could just imagine, <laughs> I could just imagine, like, those cows and those bulls just fighting and servicing each other and just yeah. reckless. Uh, it just sounded crazy. Um, it, I was, I've was i never been more jealous of anybody in my life as, like, what would it be like to just be walking up a hill and hear that noise? But that said... You know,
1: uh, <laughs> next year, Joe, we're going to be hunting in Oregon, on, and we'll be hunting the Rocky Mountain elk and... Um and, and and we're talking about it, but um, it's a whole different game compared to the Roosevelts. The Rocky Mountain elk are more vocal. Sure. There's you know more open plains, so they're more concentrated into the timbers and stuff. But um, you'll see a big difference compared to Roosevelt elk. Roosevelt elk, you know, they communicate a little bit like we were communicating with that one bull after your cow situation. Sure, he he grunted we grunted nothing we went over we did a setup he bugled i bugled and you know i think he only bugled 3 times and that was it in what a half an hour 45 minutes maybe sure. an hour yeah and but if it was a rocky mountain i mean that could it could have been intense full on bugle session for that whole hour yeah, it seems to me
0: like it seems to me like at the end of the day i would like to hang out more with the Rocky excuse me I would like to hang out more with the Roosevelt elk you know a little I feel like they're a little bit more a little bit more strength a little reclusive you know they're not just gonna you know they're a little bit more frugal with their with their resources but the seems to me like the Rocky Mountain elk is who I want to party with
1: yeah So I love it. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that's exactly. It. <laughs> you know,
0: they're little. You know, they got bigger. They got bigger antlers, right? So a little bit more flash to them. They're going to talk a little bit more smack. And you know, he's the kind of guy. You know, you got a couple bucks in your pocket to burn. You want to do something fun on a Saturday? You call. But you know what? When you got to move furniture, you're going to call the Roosevelt guy, right? He's, yeah. He's got a functional pickup, you know. So we'll work it out. But uh, we we're digressing, but that's okay. But. uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, but again, the allure of that bugle is crazy. It's and, and yeah. to, to you know some of these posts that are coming out where these guys are in some peak ruck, excuse me, rut action is um, it's crazy. And obviously, some of those spots are, um, you know, lifetime spots where you're either going to get save up for the tag or save up for the the opportunity to hunt that private land, but, um, whatnot, it's cool to check it out. So follow some of that. But, um, back to the, back to, so, so the animals though are going to be making a transition as we, as we start to look more towards late season here in Washington. So I am going to be hunting most likely, you know, again, Roosevelt elk in late season. So, you know, we're not going to, it's going to be more of that quiet, that quiet woods, right? So, so what's the approach? I mean, what are the animals doing? And I, where, where do you think the best jump in for that situation is to, to, to just begin discussing that?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I'm going to, I, I feel we didn't finish our topic on the muzzle loader part. Oh, yeah, good. And then I'll, so let me jump on that and then we'll go back to, then we'll go to your late season archery for I, Elk. I mean,
0: that plays into how they're going to be active when we're in the woods. I mean, that's part of right. the conversation.
1: Right. Y- yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll do a build up from the the muzzleloader to the rifle, and then how that's going to affect our late season um, uh, hunt in in uh, no end of November first of December. So in muzzleloader, the guys a cow call is going to be your most effective tool, and then maybe a grunt. But that's about it, because you just want to you know cow call, cow call, and maybe it's a, <clears throat> a lost mew or an assembly mew, I think, are the two most effective during that time because a lost cow, a satellite bull is going to come in and um, and maybe even a herd of cows or whatever. It depends on if you're meat hunting. If, you, if you're going to be wanting to hunt the um, herd bull, you're going to have a challenge in front of you and it's going to take you two to five days to conquer that quest right because you're gonna to have to get into the herd you're gonna to have to pull that bull out of there which he's not gonna to want to leave because he could have two to five cows and estrus and he's gonna to fight to be able to service them so so me
0: so the cow, i'll have four days i mean for me what we're looking at is it's gonna end up being um the friday after thanksgiving to that <laughs> monday after thanksgiving that's gonna be my little four-day window which probably is a lot for most guys yeah, I mean, that's probably what they're going to be doing. They're like, okay, I got a holiday here, but, you know, I can maybe swing one vacation or, you know, maybe I'll just tell my boss that my kids are sick. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. Most people only have five days. Yeah. I mean, there's – you look at Instagram and all that, and these guys are summer and are they're for seven. Some are, that guy I was direct messaging, he was in um, Arizona, and he hunted for 14 days. So – um <clears throat> but really, the key is just cow call, stay put, and um, especially if you're hunting Roosevelt elk, kind of just stay put and be patient. Be in an area where you know there are bulls, and then it might be that effective method, like you were talking to me a while ago, is that you go out in the middle of the night, you throw out a cow call or a bugle, see where they're at, and then that's where you're going to sit put for an afternoon hunt or a morning hunt. You're looking for the water, you're looking for. Um, recluse areas because they're going to want to go in the deepest, nastiest spot because they just got done being pushed for 13 or 15 days in the early season archery. So look for those deep, nasty spots, still north-facing slopes, probably going to be a little higher country because the um, the big bulls are going to come down, they're going to kick the satellites out, and then they're going to take them up to their grounds, and then um, <clears throat> you're looking for you know your feed, shelter, and all that. But then rolling over into rifle season it's more of a spot stock push hunt um there is a second estrus cycle that goes on but only a handful of cows will go into that so you can be effective with maybe a light bugle and some chuckling and um the definitely cow calls can work but then so you're looking at you've had three seasons prior to our late season archery so these cows these bulls they're all spread out the bulls are done doing what they're going to do they're going to go kind of either bachelor up or they're going to go into their own little recluse area by themselves and fatten back up right now they're on this eating frenzy so they're a little harder to hunt in that late season but the cows naturally want to um herd up right they're they're a herd animal and I have found, and it was purely by accident like 15 years ago, that just sitting in one spot and cow calling near a clear cut or near a feeding ground, you can bring in a whole herd of elk and get an opportunity. I've shot, I've shot three cow elk in late season doing that method, just sitting there cow calling. Just So, so
0: as opposed to what we were doing um, early season where it was kind of run and gun, find a spot, let's see if we can't find some animals that want to talk to us. And, and I mean, we were, we were, we were heavy miles. So, I mean, I imagine you're, you're, so you're saying maybe find one good clear cut or one good spot, whether, whether that's water. Um, maybe, I mean, ultimately you'd want to find something with a Creek, something with a clear cut and something with a bedding area relatively in close proximity, maybe something where they have like a little cycle and then you'll just kind of post up on that spot and just just kind of have some cow chat
1: yeah absolutely get there early in the morning uh, the best spot to be is in a, a, a water drainage near the clear cuts first thing in the morning it's you know when the sun comes up and just sit there and cow call because they're going to come towards where they feel safe right and if you're cow calling and you're a good cow caller or that you know a good elk caller they're going to go oh julie and um billy and uh whoever is over there. So I'm going to go over there because it seems like it's safe quarters over there. And then they'll come right to you and, and bam. I think two, no, all three of them were coming. I've shot them right within 60 yards of a water source. Now it's two in the morning and one at night. Is that
0: now also too, I'd imagine just, you know, pressure wise again, you know, we were putting a lot of pressure on animals during archery season. Obviously, the muzzle loaders with their short season and in, in the rut, they have a lot of action. The elk are putting a lot of pressure on themselves with a lot of, you know, fighting and servicing. And uh, yeah. then, obviously, you know, you got guys glassing from a distance, you know, with the modern season just coming to a close. So, you know, these animals, along with putting pressure on themselves and resources and now. Resources are becoming diminished as the weather gets interesting. Now, in Washington, I think that's a little bit different, We, as we discussed the mild climate in the beginning. So, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is I just have a feeling that that spot you want to sit on should also be something that's a bit of a – you know, Randy Newberg talks a lot about in these late season situations is, is um, sanctuary spots. So yeah. spots that are maybe far from a road or just maybe spots that look kind of nasty to get to
1: yeah absolutely i mean that's what you want to look for for elk hunting all times all during all season all methods yeah because um that once they get pressured that's where they're going to go i mean that's what when our early season that's where we were kind of looking at okay where are they where are they going to go and where are people not wanting to go and that's what you're looking for because people are only going to want to get off of the road so many hundred feet and if it's really steep nasty then they're not going to go in there Now,
0: the other question I have for you regarding that is, um, there's a couple resources I'm coming across where I'm looking into that says around this time of year, the elk are probably moving down a bit. Now, are they moving down to stay down for the winter? Um, Are they moving down just parts of the day for water and feed? I mean, is this, this, this elk getting low thought? Is that something that, in your experience, happens out here in western Washington, or is that something... You know proximity? Are they still two thirds up the mountainside like they like they are during um, during um, uh, archery season? Because our temperatures are so kind of mild and sustained throughout the year.
1: My opinion with the Roosevelt elk is they just use the territory that they're in until the snow comes, and if they're at thirty six hundred four thousand feet and the snow comes and it pushes them down, they're just going to stay below the snow line. I mean, they have great food. They have water wherever they want to go. I mean. At the end of the summer, and where we were hunting, I mean, you've seen there was water everywhere. Any drainage you went into, there was yeah. A water. Yeah. So that's not going to be the driver to go down. And if you're like hunting Rocky Mountain elk or those guys, they tend to start going down because people hunt high and they push them down low. So then they push them down towards private land because once you get off the mountain ranges, you're getting into more private land. Hmm. So where I hunted over in Prineville, you know, up in the Ochicos there, You'd start up high on the first couple days, but then you get mid-mountain halfway through the season, and then you'd get towards near the, the um, private land later in the elk archery season. I mean, there's still a lot of elk up high and stuff, but there's a lot of pressure, too. So, so, do, you,
0: so do you think with that in mind, too, there's also, as I kind of scout out the, the OnX app and look for little... Because I'm I'm looking for water sources, like little creeks that are kind of away from the road, <clears throat> and I'm also thinking... Maybe if there's a patch of private around there. Absolutely. Maybe just if there's a water source off a patch of private, that might be somewhere where I could sit. And maybe there's some, maybe they're betting on the private because it's just not getting as much pressure. I mean, these, these animals seem to find these pockets where they can hide, which is amazing to me.
1: Well, they know where they're going to get hunted and where they're not going to get hunted. And what I've noticed, especially in the region where we're going to be hunting that late season, is that they do de- go down to, there's a certain amount of herd of elk that do go down into that private land. They come up into the clear cuts and then they start, as soon as there's road traffic or whatever, they start to push down to the private and then they go bed down and then they come back up to hunt, um, eat in the clear cuts again because that's where the best nutrient is for their, you know, their food plots, yeah, and that's natural a, food plots.
0: And that's the thing about where, you know, some of these dense spots that we're hunting, um, the habitat's good. It's just, it seems like it's a matter of finding the drainage they're in because they're in there, but the the areas are pretty big. There's a lot of options. They're getting a lot of pressure. But ultimately, I think that, you know, you just have to, you got to find that right spot, right? Especially if you're, uh, especially if you're, um, you know like we're talking about here in my situation it's a it's a weekend after a holiday right so yeah. with a busy time so obviously e scouting is your best b- route to find that but how much you know is there <clears throat> value in being i guess the question is how much time do you think i need to actually put in the spot itself is it like maybe get, maybe should that first day be a scouting day itself that that friday or, you know, is it is it worthwhile if I can find like, you know, two weeks out or a week out to just get out there and kind of stomp around and look for, you know, what kind of sign would I even be looking for for that late season? Is it just um, just droppings? Because I imagine they're not going to be scraping as much.
1: No, they're not going to be scraping yeah. at all. You know, what you're looking for is hoof prints, the fresh sign uh, yeah. in the dirt and, and fresh droppings and stuff like that. But I wouldn't scout because, I mean, you blow them out. Been, you'll blow them out. Yeah. They've been pressured for a long time. You want them to let them get comfortable and start feeling like they can come together as a herd. And um, plus they're going to be moving around a lot. What I've noticed in the late season is that, you know, the weather starts to get pretty nasty come October here, right? So it'll start raining from now until July. So, I have found those elk a lot of times to be bedded down on a south facing south and east and even partly west fingers, just right on the ridge fingers in a in a six to eight year reprod. And they're out in the open because they're absorbing the sun, middle of the day. I mean, that's that's where they're bedding close to water. They have food around them. You try to jump in there and hunt them. You're making a lot of noise because clear cuts are just loud to get into. So then they have all these... Corridors, sorry. I found them. most of the elk in the late season um, on the south-facing slopes. They're no longer jumping over to the north because the north now is kind of – there's no good new nutrients back there for them to eat. So now they're on the south-facing. The sun's coming out. I mean, you look at our yards now compared to what they were two, three weeks ago, and my yard is completely green now yep. versus three weeks ago it was brown. You ain't running them sprinklers, boy. No, yeah, it's a natural sprinkler, <laughs> but that's kind of what's going on out there too. So the sun's beaming down on that south facing slope, and especially that time of the year when we're hunting. I mean, the hunting light is I think seven thirty to four thirty. Mm-hmm. So that sun's beaming down on there and giving and, and bringing up the grass for good nutrients for them to eat. And plus, they want to just dry out and stay warm. Sure, you know, So I- you're looking for those south facing bowls, like a. You know, like we kind of talked um, a few or five or six podcasts back about, you know, on the north-facing side, you look for these little bowls that are, you know, ridge systems that are going north and south, and then you have one, a main one that's going east and west. Now you just kind of flip that and go on to the other side of it, and now you want to be looking on a south-facing slope on that same kind of scenario. Yeah, and I will give –
0: I mean – you tell me. It looks like you know there's a, there is about a ten day gap. It actually looks like a two week gap between the late early season modern and then the late season archery. Um, it, how how important are those? You know, it looks like 12, 13 days
1: to just letting the elk simmer down. I think it's super important. I mean, why would you want to go out there and harass the elk when they've already been harassed for? three seasons yeah that's the same right measured. i mean you're ju- you're just gonna stress them out you're gonna do i mean they're already stressed out enough i mean they expect it and it's what they they live in but there's no reason in my opinion to keep bumping them or pushing them or even educating them and you know with your scent and everything else so well that that's the you know i mean Plus, you leave your scent behind, right? You're walking in the woods, you're grabbing branches, you're, you're going to the bathroom, you're doing these things. So you're leaving your scent behind. You don't want to leave your scent behind in the areas that you want to concentrate where you're hoping they're going to be in that, um, during the hunting time.
0: Mm. Cool. Well, it'll be interesting. So it seems to me like this late season gear is just a, bit more of a it's a bit more of a patient game.
1: Absolutely. And, and spot and stocks good. Um, you watch them go into the timber line. I mean, they, they, they get out of the timber really, or the clear cuts really quick and into the thick timber. So some, what we'll do is we'll walk clear cuts in the morning, see if we see any activity. If we see elk, we watch where they go. And then we do kind of like a push hunt and everybody goes in different areas and comes down on them. Like if it's a bull, you know, we'll surround that whole bull and everybody goes down. We meet at the creek bottom and then we hoof our way back out
0: hopefully heavy.
1: So yeah, hopefully heavy <laughs> exactly, <laughs> which is great.
0: But now it's an interesting conversation. They you know just like people they change and there's there's things going on there and you know they have a lot that they're kind of, you know, decompressing, right? They they have a lot that they've just come out of, you know, if you consider mm-hmm. Again, all the pressure they're putting on themselves, and the pressure that that humans and other predators are putting on them. So, um, no, nah, it'll be interesting, man. It's just, um, you know, it seems like we're always in a sort of transition, right? Everybody is, and it's just how do you manage the swings of that stress in order to just survive and get through the next day? You know what I mean? So,
1: yeah, exactly, and and simple, right? Everything is simple, cells, simple this, simple that, and always effective, and it's very simple. They're going to go to an area where they're not they. They're, not, they're less likely to see humans or predators.
0: Cool. Well, there it is. I'll be looking for little creeks near private land. Um, hopefully maybe with the. Uh, so, again, the clear-cut situation. You said uh, the, the 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 slope will be facing north or south? South. South-facing.
1: South-facing slope. If you'll notice, and, and when we go hunting over there, we'll go drive on the north side, and you'll see the difference between how green – the south is compared to the north. The north is almost like who the hell would want to be here. It's like almost like a desert compared to the south basing slopes. Very cool. South and east, right, because the sun's rising in the east. And um, they're catching that first bit of sunlight during the day. And then they kind of bask in the sun for the lack of better terms. And then, um, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, it should be interesting. Um, it, it should be fun. Um you know, upward and onward, I think the best way to kind of lick your wounds is to just do your next thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
1: So, absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and so now that kind of shifting gears into the training aspect, we have all these different seasons. Joe, my question is: is like, we have a training program, we hunt the archery season, and then say we're hunting elk for archery season, and we're out there for 2 weeks we're maxing out every single day and then we're going to have an idle time and then we're going to have deer season so maybe we have 3 weeks off and then deer hunting comes if mm-hmm. you're an archer or you know you want to hunt in different phases and then we have the late season how do you do somewhat like a post training middle training i don't even know what you would call that in between each event well, we'll I, call the- yeah not
0: to, I, I would say right now if if hunting is your sport where that's like the thing you work all year towards to be great at. Um, You're in season right now, you know what I mean? Whether, no matter what you're doing. So I look at, I'll look at my calendar for the year and I'm like, okay, pretty much early season archery through late season archery. That's what I'm calling my in season hunting. Like that's where hunting takes a priority. So when I look at all the the hobbies I do and interests I have, and we've talked about a few of them, I like to move barbells and pick things up. I like to shoot my bow. And I have this jujitsu hobby that kind of was always on the back burner. So that said, during this time of year, archery takes precedence and and getting ready for hunting. So I kind of just taper my intensity on the barbell movements and the jujitsu stuff. And I make sure that, you know, the last thing I want to do is get hurt right? Because then, you know, because my time, my, my hunting days are so limited. We just kind of went through this. And I think my story is a common one And talking with guys who are into this. Um, You know, I had, you know, I had, you know, six days I hunted in early season and it looks like right now I'll be able to put four together and then maybe a couple single day hunts throughout the longer late season. So when you really look at it, I'm probably going to have 14 days total that are big game hunting priorities. So with that said, my activities for training, you know, they're the priority during that time window. So everything that I do, I kind of just drop the intensity, and it's about maintaining what I've built up through that year. So um, I'm not doing, you know, let's let's take the the running program that I discussed. Um, all through the archery lead up, you know, that was some pretty high intensity interval training. You know, I'm not doing any of that. So now all those interval sets are at a much lower percentage where I'm just trying to maintain the heart rate and and just build a sweat. And then even my, um even the barbell work, uh, it's just, everything's lower where I'm just trying to do enough to maintain. So I, th- I think that's what you need to do when you're in season. You know, it's not it's not time to PR your lifts. It's not time to PR and look for higher performance because you should be, you've built it already. So now it's just a maintenance phase. So the the priorities are, you know, is my bow still working? Um, am I maintaining range of motion? And am I maintaining the capacities that I've built up? And I think that that's the best way to look at it when you're in this kind yeah. of, you know, when am I hunting? When do I train? I, I, that, that's how I manage it.
1: Yeah, because I know when I came out of being up there for, I don't, I can't remember if it was nine or 10 days, but yeah. I, I usually take about three weeks off because I'm exhausted sure. and I've been training for months. And this year I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to take three days off because I was sore and pretty exhausted for three days after I came back and yeah. then got back into, um, well, I just started out with walking a little, little bit because my knees are kind of a little tender, but, um, So a guy, he takes three days off, and then he just jumps in and just starts maintaining his existing program. And so he's going to have another month until he, like, I think we're going to wait, what, a month and a half?
0: Yeah, so again, I would think, you know, lick your wounds,
1: right? I mean, put, put
0: put your time into, you know, getting right and making sure. Like, if you look at, you know, look at the NFL guys right now. They're getting banged up. They're getting crushed, you know. With that being said, with the way they're beating each other up in the games and the way they're trying to rehab everything's about doing what they have to to be their best on game day and with so mm-hmm. many few game days in the hunting season um i would probably say you want to put your your invest your your training investments in making sure you're feeling great and and that's kind of a it's kind of a woo-woo answer but You know, like if you feel good, go lift weights. You know, if you have bad – if you have an ache here, you need to go get that ache fixed. You know, even like – who's it? You know, uh, Dirk. You know, Dirk blew his shoulder out. Um, Yeah. And what did he do? He took his time. Now, he's not worrying about trying to – build capacities he's doing what he can to learn how to pull a bow with his teeth so he can get another day in you know that that's what that's what ultimately has to happen so it's a super individualized approach where you have to just optimize and take advantage of all the capacities that you've built up throughout the year so you know if you're feeling good train but i would ultimately say your training efforts should probably be about 85%. And I think that's probably the best advice I could give anybody who's like, you know, how do I keep training while I'm in season? And that would just be, you know, whatever you're doing, just dial it back to 85%. And in the meantime, put your, put your big investments time-wise into being right. And I would say, man, I was watching one of our hunting buddies, um, just struggle to walk up a hill Right. And I'm like, it took this Uh guy, it took him like eight steps to get over a log, you know, eight separate tries. And I'm like, okay, that's eight efforts. So imagine if in the off season he had put in that same effort into getting range of motion in his hip flexor. So that would have only taken one opportunity. Things would have been a lot more efficient, right? So that said, that's the time now. If you're, if, You know, if you don't know what to do and you're feeling frisky and you don't want to, like, get hurt in training, you know, put your time into range of motion and flexibility and stuff like that. That's ultimately what I would do. But then, again, whatever training you were doing leading up, I would just kind of do the workouts that you like that make you feel really good and confident. But just dial it back to, like, 85% so you're just keeping things going so you're safe, you're building some confidence doing stuff you like, and you're working on stuff that is kind of low-hanging fruit that – you can reach for without overreaching and getting yourself injured
1: right and and i love the the concept of range of motion because i think as we get older we kind of get stiffer and we lose that range of motion because the muscles are getting tighter or you know we're different areas in our career so what is kind of range of motion what does that look like as far as you know a, a workout or Stretching routine. I mean, is that what it is? Is basically a stretching routine, or are you trying to build strength?
0: You can you can go at it any number of ways. And For me, um, I, I always like the the test. The the what you want to do should be the test. So, for example, case in point, um, you know, you're trying to walk up a steep hill, and you're trying to step over a log, and you're trying to cover ground. To me, that looks like a big lunge, and You can also recreate that environment by maybe have a box in your house, right? And you just, it's a big step up. So, you know, test that step up first, you know, how high can you step up and then how strong are you and able to just perform that step up, right? So, so there's the test anywhere in there. If you have limited range of motion, for me, I can put. I've done it. I can put a very heavy pack on my back and I can step up to a 30 inch box with one leg without my other leg touching the ground. I have that range of motion. I have that strength. That's the test in every aspect. And to me, that mimics what goes on in the hunting scenario. So anywhere in there, if I have a, if I have poor, if I have poor range habits that limit my ability to perform that movement, that's what I work on. And generally for most folks, it's going to be a sort of a hip flexor I mean, again, what what lower body m- muscle aren't you using doing a a big step up with a loaded pack? I mean, you're getting right. them all so so in that in that aspect, it's just you know it's taking care of all those parts. So for me, a, a a stretch that I'll do to help with that movement is a couch stretch, and that's just something where I'll post my leg up behind my butt and try and push my lower back against the wall with my with my knee and heel kind of wedged behind my body with that front leg in front of me like a lunge, if you can imagine that. So just again, mm-hmm. the other part is imagine kneeling and then just taking your back leg and pulling it to your butt. I mean, that's the stretch I'm looking for. So when you're doing like a range of motion there, I'll, I'll sit in that position for over two minutes. Two minutes seems to be the magic number. Um, so any kind of stretching protocol, what I'll generally like to do, and I do this every day, I'll do a lower body extremity I'll do a middle extremity and I'll do an upper body. So imagine this routine where I'll do couch stretch, two to five minutes per leg, holding that position, kind of working for different range of motion. So then from there, um, I'll do something kind of trunky, which will be kind of bridgey or I'll kind of sit in a quadruped position and just work uh, like a cat cow. That's going to get my middle covered. And then I'll ha- and I'll do that for anywhere from two to five minutes. And then I'll hang from the pull-up bar and just open up my shoulders. And I think the pull-up bar, you know, those three things, if you did those every day, just hang from the pull-up bar for two to five minutes. Um, accumulate the two to five minutes. And if you did cat cow pose where you're just kind of wiggling your, your spine – and you mm-hmm. did that for two to five minutes, and then you did the couch stretch for two to five minutes each leg. If everybody who's listening to this podcast right now did that every day, every day, and you did that for a year, you would um, be awesome, and you would be, <laughs> you would be in front of ninety percent of your. Nobody stretches. Nobody does that stuff. And I'll tell you right now, you, those three movements, those three things. And if you take that 15 to 20 minutes every day and do that, um, you will feel great by the end of the year. It's a long road. It's not an easy road. And it's more about discipline than anything else because everybody can do those movements and we can scale them in many ways. And, um, that that's exactly what, where I would put my stuff. Um, and, um, it would bulletproof you. I mean, you open your shoulders up, you you get some wiggle in your trunk and then all of a sudden your your glutes, hip flexors and hamstrings are ready to move. I mean, what more could you want?
1: Yeah, no. I I agree. Man, that's that's good stuff. Yeah. And and what's crazy is that um when you do stretch and you're doing that all the time, I think it makes you feel a hell of a lot better. I I stretch four to five days a week. Yeah. Especially anytime I do legs, any kind of leg workout, I always stretch. And, um, especially cause as I get older, I'm getting more s- stiff and then just sitting down all the time. But yeah, I mean, if
0: you, if you don't use it, you will hundred percent lose it.
1: I mean, that's oh, just absolutely in, it'll and, tighten up
0: and we could make more rhymes, you know, movement is medicine. You know what I mean? Like it, we can, we can do this all day Like, and, and we can, and we will. And, and it, that, that, that's where I would probably put it, you know, do those things first and, and then, and then, you know, build from there and then, you know, obviously if you want to, you can just take those step-ups there and you know if you want to do a couple sets you know that you know i think a great way to form your workout might be just tabata intervals at at a a really simple set where if you do that routine then you know do a setup where you're doing um you know you're doing step-ups push-ups and sit-ups you know 20 seconds on uh with 10 seconds of rest for you know anywhere from four to eight sets each movement and You'll be ready to rock, man. It's a simple workout. It's a bodyweight workout. It's something that anyone can do anywhere, and there's no excuse not to do it. You know, we can even scale it, you know. Um, I had a kid I had a kid in my PE class do a similar workout with braces on his legs. I got all these emails from a mom that, you know, so-and-so can't get off the floor. He doesn't know how to get up, you know. But in the PE class, he's picking up a 15-pound medicine ball and throwing it against the wall. The kid trips, picking the ball up, and guess what he did? He got up. You know what I mean? So it happens. You know what I mean? And if if a if a if a little sixth grader with braces on his legs can find a way to get some training in, you know, you guys listen to this podcast can find you know you know fifteen twenty minutes to stretch, so you can be better in the woods. I, I think that's where I'd put my time if I'm looking at these in season kind of workouts. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there was a Joe Rogan podcast where he was interviewing an MMA guy, um, and he talked about, you know, only working out at 70% to 80% of your capacity or your PR. Sure. To keep – because if you're doing your PR all the time or you're doing this intense training, and his theory was that you have to – you work hard one day, you have to have a recoup day for one or two after that. Yes. But if you're at 70 or 80%, then you're not maxing out every single day, so you're not really – pushing your body too far you get more and you get more reps over
0: time like here yeah i'll tell you another funny thing that i'll do my kids when i drop them off at school there's this gate and above the gate there's this really thick bar like uh you can imagine you probably know the gauge of the gate like it's uh my my grip can't go around it i can't Uh i can't grip it so when my kids open that door i do three pull-ups every time i walk under that gate so i walk (laughs) i walk through that gate and I walk out of that gate when I pick my kids up. So that's about twelve pull-ups I get Monday through Friday. That are just extra little workouts. Now they don't bother me. They don't hurt me. But if you can think over 180 days, I'm getting 12 extra pull-ups in. How many pull-ups is that? That's a lot of. That's a lot of. I must said. I almost said that's a lot of fucking pull-ups. But. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can get that and that's the other thing that people don't do like it's only
1: 22160 that's it just so what the thing is but the thing there is
0: like whatever moment you have to get like an extra rep in get it you know yeah. what i mean even if it's three sit ups guess what else you're doing in those three sit ups you're getting on and off the floor which isn't so different than like a turkish get up and how many old people you know fall and can't get up you know what i mean so use that skill so uh, and I, I emphasize that point by throwing the little F word in there for a point you know hopefully people remember it because I think that that's an aspect of fitness that people forget like you just have to do what you can when you can sometimes and getting 12 pull ups in randomly over the course of an 8 hour span is something that everybody should do and could do but they don't do and then at the end of the day you know, they complain that, you know, they're losing this or not strong enough to do that. Well, are you really trying? You know, you have to find these little gaps, I think, to fight convenience and get after it. And, that, again, that's one example. Um, you know, and I'm fortunate enough as being a PE teacher where I'm up moving all day. And I love playing that game with myself where how many, how many reps did I get in today that my coworkers didn't? You know, when they're sitting at their computer complaining that they're busy, you know, I'm stretching with the kids, I'm doing a couple sprints, I'm getting this stretch in. And ultimately, more than anything I do training wise, I think, I think where I get the most headway is building in this idea of movement into my lifestyle. I take every moment I can to find a funny little rep here and there. And I really think that's the big benefit.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm mean, working in the yard, Yeah, parking as far away from the front door as I can. Yep. and And to ask you, To do those three pull ups, how long does it take you? No time. And sometimes Yeah, it's it's, like what, fifteen seconds, maybe ten seconds? Nothing. And then every and then people always complain that they don't have time to work out. And Yeah, yeah, it's mind boggling. My
0: favorite thing is when I see another parents behind me and they're like, Oh, that was cool. I'm like, Yeah, you should give it a try. I can't do that. (laughs) And you know what? Even if you can't do that, if you can grab the bar and just hang for like as long as you can. There's benefit in that. Like we said before, you know, that that little stretch routine, the idea is to accumulate the time if you can't hang for the minute straight, and why not just hang for 15 seconds? I'm telling you, your body over the course of the year will love you, and these things all of a sudden will add up to one day you just wake up and be like, "Man, I feel really good." And you won't know <laughs> why, right? But you just will. I mean, it just it's just got to be a long-term lifestyle thing more than anything. So,
1: well, and this reminds me of a time when I was younger in, in construction, and I was driving truck for a roof loading company. And and this guy that I was with, he was heavy into working out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we played a game. After every time we loaded a roof, we did fifty push-ups. Yeah, that's it. Yep. And that and and it took us less or a little more less than a minute to do fifty push-ups. But at the end of the day, one day we did six hundred and fifty push-ups. I believe it. But we, you never, I never knew it throughout the day, but, and it turned into a fun little game, right? It's like who could get back to the truck the quickest, tap the door, and then do 50 push-ups, and then be in their seat and ready to go.
0: I remember there was a really cool – there's this guy, Jared Moon, and I think we've talked about this on the <laughs> podcast. He discussed a an, an, in, an in-office routine that was similar to that where every day the office would pick a, a movement, whether it's a burpee – a push-up, a squat, a sit-up, and then they would put a grid on the board. And each square represented uh, someone who worked in the office. And the idea was, as an office, to always beat the number the day before or the number for the same movement the week before. And if if I walked by the board, Jeremy, and I saw push-ups on the board, I would put my number up. I would just do like, you know, maybe I'd do 11 push-ups and i put it on there. And then you walk by, and you see my number, and you remember your number from the last one. You put it up. And those funny little tricks are so important, even in an office setting, your work setting. I'm telling you, man, more than more than base camp, more than any personal trainer, if you can sneak things like that into your life, I mean, that's that's it's worth its weight in gold if you can do it. I mean, that's I it's out there, go
1: man, so. And okay. you'll be happier, I mean, at the end of the day. And we've talked about this in the earlier podcast. You're going to be, I mean, you're going to start feeling so much better. And then it's going to spark your eating habits to be a little better. I mean, it's just,
0: Yeah, like you said, it's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if you really did that math, but I'll do it right now. 180 times 12. Yeah, that's 2,000 pull-ups. That really is. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to do 2,000 pull-ups? And you can sneak them in. You can sneak them in. I didn't even know it was that many. I really do. Yeah. I was doing with Charlie the other day. She goes, "That's cool, dad." And you know what I did? I picked Charlie up and she hung from the bar and did one. You know what I mean? So, you know, your kids notice, people notice and um you know, when you walk around, you know, looking fit, people take notice
1: too. You know what I mean? So, uh So you did 2160 push or pull-ups and it took you less than or it took you around about st- 8 minutes out of the year I think is how this calculates out. Yeah,
0: like 15 seconds. I'll do it. I'll you know what I'll do I'll do an Instagram post and I'll have Charlie film me doing the three pull-ups and I'll time it and we'll see how long it took me to do those 2,160 pull-ups. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, seeing that number is inspiring me to do
1: <laughs> Now you're going to have to do 5. Dude. I'm going to do 5 now. <laughs>
0: You know what I mean, and we'll see. You know, and then maybe that's a fun little challenge. You know, you know, I get it. You know, writing programs like Basecamp and personal training people, um, like I do to to get bigger totals and compete in weightlifting is really fun. And even helping the kids in PE class like do better on their presidential fitness tests, like yeah, that stuff's awesome. But doing what we just did there and talking a little shit and then running a calculation and seeing that you know I'm ultimately sneaking in two thousand pull-ups, extra. Extra.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Taking less than seven, eight
0: minutes. So, how about that? What's the go? You know, I ain't so worried about that tag I didn't notch now, knowing I'm doing 2,000 extra pull ups. That's fired up. I'm ready. Yeah, man. So, how about you guys? Uh, Maybe folks are out there. Are you guys doing extra fitness? You know what I mean? You know, I mean, think about all the if you do park far away, that's probably marathons run if you do that. So, so there's, yeah. the, there's the key folks. But, uh, man, I'm fired up. But um, I'll tell you what I'm also fired up for, Jeremy. Um, the, the DuPont Spikes have their fourth game of the season. And I think today I'm going to run it up. What do you think?
1: You should, dude. <laughs> hey, there ain't no reason not to. <laughs> We're gonna run it up, but uh, yeah, last
0: week we won seven to two. The week before we lost uh, one to three, and then the week before that we won. I think like uh, three to one. So uh, it should nice. be a, it should be a fun game. I know Titus has a soccer match today. Um, yeah,
1: eleven thirty.
0: Fired up. Ours is, our games at ten. Um, what league are
1: you in? Um, Penn Met, I think is what it is. Yeah. Peninsula Metropolitan okay. League. I well, think that's what it stands for. I, I don't know. I could have just made that up, but.
0: I think our team plays in the Pierce County Home League. So if we see you guys out there, um, uh, if you see a, if you see a, a small, um, <laughs> buck spike skull. Mounted on a trekking pole, um, you're playing the Dupont spikes and watch yourself, because uh... I love
1: it, dude. That's so awesome, <laughs>
0: Joe. You do some of the funniest stuff, dude. We put pressure on people. <laughs> you see, the thing I yell from the sidelines on pressure, pressure, pressure. I just want them to pressure the ball. That's all I want my kids to do. That's and, it. And spread out, spread out, and pressure. But uh, it's fun. Uh, have a great time. No, and those funny little things. I think people like them. I mean, even my parents. You know, they were, in in a funny way, it just builds. It builds like positive mojo in your favor. Like I, I literally had twelve families rooting for me to get an elk, right? And I think that that's probably the reason <laughs> why I got you know fifty-one yards instead of you know seventy yards this year. So uh, it'll happen. And um, the only problem is when I do get that elk, I'm going to have a lot of um, I'm going to have a lot of wild game diplomacy to play by giving that meat out, you know, because I also want to uh-huh. I also want to get some of this to folks, let them try it. But um, we're gonna we're going to do that man but um I appreciate it you 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 did a lot of wild game diplomacy this year um by uh dispersing half your goodies to your your buddies help pack that cow out and I appreciate you for that man and uh um I can't wait for late season we got a few weeks away and um it's going to be it's going to be a tag notch sir I know it
1: yeah I think it should turn out good especially cuz it's a spot and stock game almost, and you did a pretty good job on that cow. So I have confidence that you're going to do it. And guess what?
0: I think my wife got me new boots for my birthday, which is next week. woo wee! And um, you know, I think she, I'm actually excited. Um, I, I saw the package. I didn't see the package, but I saw where it came from. There was a package on the steps from a store, and I know, I know the, on the list. Uh, I think I know. So I think my wife got me those, um, you know, those light boots that Under Armour was putting out Uh uh-huh i think she got me a pair of those and i'm excited about them nice because they're light supposedly they they wear like a sneaker and they're waterproof and um i I think i can run and gun in these things i can do it slick and quiet so hopefully i can put an animal down with those and um put a nice review out and and let you know what i think about them but um i tried them on in a store and um i'm excited because they're light they wear like a sneaker and supposedly keep your feet dry and that's a pretty good recipe for for awesome
1: that is awesome. Okay. And I got to throw out, you know, talking about gear, I got to throw out a shout out to Black Ovis. Okay. Um, you know, we got out there this year, and when we got my bowl, and I said, hey, grab my game bags. They're right there. And then we lifted them up, and they were about half the size they needed to be. I ended up getting <laughs> white bags. Ones. Remember that? <laughs> I was like, what the hell happened? <laughs> but I called Black Ovis. I told them what happened, and without any question, they sent me... The extra large ones, the elk and caribou at no charge. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, so, I mean, customer service is huge, and now they have um, a customer for life because they stepped up to the plate like that. Well, and they let me keep the deer ones, too. Fired up. No, and Yeah, so thank you, Black Ovis, for stepping up to the plate and um, taking care of it, brother, well, lucky, and doing the right thing. Lucky for you, the mistake
0: I made was purchasing moose bags. So we could have put your whole elk in one of my bags. And we did. Yeah, those are pretty big. <laughs> in fact, we could have put your we put your quarter in the bag and could have tied it around a tree with the bag. And uh, yeah. so it worked
1: out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out.
0: No, that's a good product. I know it's, a. Th- I have a set of synthetic bags. Um, the black Ovis bags are cool. And what I hear about those synthetic bags is, you know, especially where we hunt, where it can be mild. And we want to keep the meat cool, you know, the synthetic fibers. And that's where I'm always in, you know, even buying my own clothes. It's like, do I go wool? Um, do I go synthetic? Cause the trade off there is that stuff dries quick and, and cools you off quick. So
1: yeah, exactly. Different
0: for the meat, but uh, hey, man, this was a loaded episode and a fun one. Um, I think I think we hit all the marks to help folks uh, train, hunt, and live best lives possible. Um, if we're not doing that, folks, let us know. You can do it best in, in. You can comment on our Instagram posts. You can you can leave reviews. You can reach out to us any way you can. You can just let us know that we're either hitting or missing the mark would be awesome. But um, until the next one, Jeremy, um, which I'm fired up for already. Um, this was a great episode, man. Look forward to the next one
1: yeah him, my friend any f- so, any, f- any
0: final words sir
1: yes sir what is god it? bless the great old
0: america there it is yeah she's yeah she ain't so old um but uh she's a she's a great spot to be on man i appreciate you buddy thank you
1: yeah thank you joe